Welcome to the Word Fitly Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Willie Grills. What is a Word Fitly Spoken? What is our mission? What are our broadcasts about? What is our blog about? What, what do we do? Well, simply, by a word, the sick man was healed. By a word, Lazarus came out from his tomb. By a word, the adulterous woman was saved from certain death. A simple, fitting word can move heaven and earth. Everlasting life depends on someone preaching. Because without someone preaching, how will the dead hear and live? And the one preaching must proclaim the word of Christ and nothing else. God's word is enough to make the man of God perfect, equipped for every good work. God's word is enough for understanding the scripture. God's word is enough for proclaiming the whole counsel of God. God's word is enough for the spreading of the reign of God the Lord. By words about reading the scriptures, about preaching the scriptures, and about the mission on which the scriptures send all of us, we here at A Word Fitly Spoken aim to give you, the servant of Christ, more and more always from the fullness the Lord has given us in his holy word. Joining me today for our inaugural broadcast is the Reverend Zelwyn Heidi of North Dakota, and he is here to talk to us about the sufficiency of scripture. Hello, Zelwyn. Hi, Willie. Good to be here. Good to have you. So, first broadcast, we're going to be hearing from Zelwyn a lot. He's the Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson. He's our co-host extraordinaire. We're going to talk about scripture. That is our basis. That is the foundation of the church. That is what all of our doctrine and practice is built upon. So Zelwyn, let's just start out here, sort of define some parameters there. How would you define scripture? Well, scripture in a word is God's word. I mean, it's it's really nothing else. What we have before us in the Holy Bible is nothing less than the very words of God himself. And unless we recognize that, uh, we're going to think of it as, well, insufficient. But because God is the one speaking, he it is completely sufficient. And that's and that's what we mean then when we're talking about the sufficiency of scripture. Yes, and what is Scripture sufficient for? Well, for salvation, to make a man uh, equipped for every good work. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about this when we get into the text of Scripture and talking about its own uh, self-attestation. But Scripture is sufficient because it teaches us everything that we need to know about what God wants us to know in, in this life. The scriptures are a tremendous gift that we have, that we often take for granted. You know, it is, it is our norming norm. It is sufficient for life and salvation. It is accessible to nearly everyone in the world now in their own language, um, and generally at free or no cost. It's a tremendous, tremendous gift. And yet, oftentimes, it is, it is, it is ignored, or it is put sort of on a lower level. Um, is sort of put below reason, put below um, authority. And do you have any comments on that about what can we do to make Scripture, um, or how should we think about Scripture as far as um, an authority? Well, you have to ask yourself, uh, who is your authority? Is Scripture going to be your authority, or is something else? And I know it's so tempting to look for some other kind of authority, because we'd say, how can the Bible be the authority? But you might even use this kind of an image. Um, When you tell your children something and you say, you know, you have to listen to me because I said so, we recognize that that is an authority. You are the one to whom you're finally appealing. There's nowhere else to go. Um, When we try to put some other authority over top of Scripture, we're actually saying that there's somewhere else that we need to go in order to have that final word. But God is the final word, because there was no one greater than him. Well said, well said. And we will return to this subject a little bit uh, later in the broadcast. So let's now establish really the foundation of the doctrine or the concept of the sufficiency of Scripture. So let's take a look first at the classic text, uh, 2 Timothy 3.15 and following. Um, St. Paul writes, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So let's just take those those three verses there. That was 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, and uh, sort of unpack them a little. Uh, Zelwyn, would you like to, uh, to start with 15 for us? Sure. Yeah, Paul is, of course, talking to Timothy here, who was a young pastor. Um, and Timothy is is seems to be struggling a little bit with, you know, being a minister and being so young. And so Paul is encouraging him by pointing him to that which is uh, his comfort, his authority. And so when he says in verse 15 that from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, um, I'm following the ESV, of course, <laughs> Um that this is even from childhood and throughout our own all of our lives, God's word is all we need to be built up in the faith. Um, it's not something that we grow out of. It's not something that we move past, and and you know it's we need to move on to something bigger or more important. But the scriptures become um, this. We are we grow up. In the scriptures, and so we 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 live in them and grow in them, and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and this is very interesting. Here, Timothy is going to be acquainted with the scriptures in a way that's very familiar to um, most Christians. Um, he he is having the Word of God uh, read to him, um, sort of passed down to him uh, from the previous generations. Um, the scriptures are something that the people of faith hold sacred but they don't hold it secret. They hand it down to their children and to those around them who will listen. Part of the Christian task is the spreading of the word, and it's also the preservation of the word. And it's the it's the raising up your children in this word. It's the raising up your uh, inferiors, uh, for lack of a better word, um, in the scriptures. Um, it's it's very interesting. Um, there's, there's something to point out here, too. Um, Paul had made very clear to Timothy that he had received this from his grandmother and also from his mother. Yes. Um, Normally, of course, we would say, you know, the father should be the one teaching. But even in the case where, you know, apparently Timothy's father may not have been a believer, um, it was still part of being a Christian parent uh, to pass that word on to your children. I mean, this comes from Deuteronomy 6, uh, where the Lord says, you know, uh, telling, telling, commanding Israel to tell these things to the next generation. Yes, that is, and that it, would you say that's still God's desire today? Absolutely. Ah, very much so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, very good. Let's take a look at, um, let's see, from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, something we'll come to... Um, a little bit later in the broadcast, it's very interesting. Um, which sacred writings would Timothy have been acquainted with? Well, it's the Old Testament. Um, and that's interesting. Here the, here the gospel is, these are the scriptures here. The New Testament is not yet complete. And yet these are the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is where Christ is found just the same as in the New Testament. Yeah, it's not something like Jesus all of a sudden shows up in the New Testament and then, you know, that's what we focus on. Yeah, the Old Testament very much proclaims Christ in every page. Um, Yeah, sure, it doesn't use the the name of Jesus specifically, but that doesn't mean that it's not about him. And so when we are proclaiming the word of God, even from the Old Testament, uh, we are proclaiming that faith which comes in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul very often uh, spoke against this an idea that it made it something about works or about something other than what the word itself was actually proclaiming. Because when you stop listening to the word, when you stop listening to the Holy Spirit, you start to insert all of your own ideas. And a lot of times those ideas are, well, I'm the one who's actually saving myself. Right. Now, interesting, we talked about handing the faith down to generations, but it's important that the word, or that we know that the word is not um, an invention of heredity. It's not just sort of this developed tradition 
of men that is passed down. We have the word passed down, and here in verse 16, we see the origin of Scripture. If you'd like to go ahead and take that verse for us. Sure. Um, DSV here reads, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, which is a very interesting uh, way of putting it. Of course, when you use the word inspiration, uh, literally to breathe into uh, is the same kind of language. Uh, when when we read or hear the scriptures, we are hearing the very voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not just something that a man made up. It's not just something that the church all of a sudden decided was going to be of uh, the scriptures. We are hearing God himself. And because God is speaking, that is what makes it scripture. And that is what makes it, and then from the rest of the verse here, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Because when God is speaking and when we listen to him, then we are made holy by him. Then we are actually adhering to what he wants us to be and to do. It's interesting here. Breathed out by God and profitable for what? First, for teaching. Let's unpack that a little bit. What does that look mm-hmm. like? You know, teaching how? What What is the scripture principally teaching? Well, the, the, the scripture is teaching Christ, teaching what it means to be in Christ, also teaching us that we need Christ. Um, because we are captivated in sin, because we're so um, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, we aren't actually always aware that we are rebellious. That doesn't mean that um, that we are somehow, that we don't know that we're sinners or that we aren't sinners until the, the scriptures tell us, but rather that we have so suppressed the truth about ourselves that we believe in a lie. And because we believe in that lie, we have to have the Holy Spirit come to us and tell us what is the truth. And that is that we are in need of a Savior. And so we have to be taught then um, what it means to be in Jesus. And then once we have been taught what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be a sinner, we are also taught the way of righteousness, what it means to be holy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, I mean, it's teaching the, the, whole, the whole way of God, the whole, the whole counsel, yes. as it were. So what we have is this picture of God, the Holy Spirit, who has inspired and preserved these words. And it's the same Holy Spirit which quickens us, which makes us alive through the preaching of the word and uh, through his word and the sacraments. It's a, it's a, it's a holistic um, work that's going on in us by God himself, the Holy Spirit. Um, profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. Let's take a look at that. That might not be the most popular um, <laughs> verse today. For reproof and for correction. Yeah, re- reproof obviously being something when we... Um, rebuke somebody when we say that you're wrong, you need to be corrected. Um, when we say that scripture is sufficient and that scripture is its own authority, that doesn't just mean that anything that we think about scripture is correct, of course. Uh, we can't just decide, oh, this is what I want it to mean. We have to listen to what the scriptures are saying and be willing to be corrected and not persisting in an error or persisting in something that uh, is wrong, but rather recognizing that, well, we still have a lot of growth to do, that no man is an island unto himself, but that Christ has set up his church uh, by giving her apostles, by giving her teachers, by giving her prophets, and all of these things uh, for the building up of the whole. And lastly here, and for training in righteousness. Yeah, we've we've kind of hit on this already, yes, but this yes. this idea of training in righteousness meaning that uh, we are now holy. We're not just um, left in some sort of I, I don't even know how to put it. <laughs> We're not just left out in the out off by ourselves, but rather we are being conformed to the image of God. We are being made holy in His sight, and to be holy is to be taken out of the world. And to be conformed unto him. Yes, it's, and the script. It, it's often um, sort of presented as set apart without any explanation. But Christians are set apart for a purpose, or set apart to be made into something new. Yeah, and that and that something new, of course, is what we sometimes call the new man. 
uh, that we have been uh, put into a given a new head in Christ so that we are part of a new body. Uh, and being part of that body means a putting off of the old body, um, the body of death, the body of Adam. Uh, so why do we want to turn back towards that? Uh, rather, we'd want to do what God uh, wants us to do because our will has been renewed. We we want to do what God wants us to do, and we're not fighting against it because the Christian actually wants God's law. Um, if you remember the psalm, you know, blessed is the man uh, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked in Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Um, I mean, that is the idea of what it means to be holy, to look towards God and to desire what it is that is of him. Yes, and, and, and then nevertheless, the Christian stumbles, the Christian falls, the Christian does feel shame. O wretched man that I am, as Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And therein is what's also found in Scripture, the comfort of your sure and certain salvation in Christ the comfort of the gospel there. The Christian delights in that comfort. The Christian also delights in the law. It's in both. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not a, it's not a either or. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we, we delight in Christ and we delight in his law as Christians. Right. Of course, we don't delight in it as sinners, uh, but we have been taken out of sin and made a part of the body of life. Yes. But let's, but we can go on to the next Absolutely. verse. So proceed, sir. Yes, and so that the man of God may be complete. Um, I would say here with the, the man of God, he's speaking specifically of Timothy. I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, certainly, um, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly um, furnished to all good, or excuse me, thoroughly, uh, may be complete, equipped for every good work, uh, as the ESV says. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, certainly uh, they're talking to Timothy um, directly, but how, however, there is a broader application towards towards Christians here. Um, are any of the, can any of these verses not be applied to everyone um, who is part of the kingdom of God? Oh, of, of course. I mean, it's going to apply to every Christian in the sense that we are all taught and reproved and built up in the scriptures. Uh, Paul is speaking specifically to Timothy as a pastor. Yes, to, to comfort and him. So to, that's, and, you know, here's a young guy, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, um, Perhaps he's a little shaky here, dealing with some issues. And here's the the comforting father, Paul, uh, coming in and encouraging Timothy. And that should be encouraging for those of us who are pastors, too, because um, the scriptures are sufficient sufficiency even as a pastor. It's not because we are somehow uh, super Christians or something like that, or we've somehow become better, but rather that uh, just as in childhood, when we heard uh, the scriptures read from our parents, even now as we proclaim the word as called servants of the Lord, it's still the same word. It's not something different. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's a rock. It's firm. Um, it's a firm foundation on which to build. So we have other um, scriptures that talk about the inspiration um, of the Bible, what that looks like. Second um, Peter, for example, chapter 1. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we're kind of back now up to this theme of how we get the scriptures and, and what that looks like. Can you care to comment on this uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit or moved by the Holy Ghost, as we used to say? <laughs> <laughs> In the inspired correct, King James. Correct. Um, <laughs> um, I think it's it's interesting because what Peter is is speaking against is a bunch of these uh, false prophets who have come in and who are trying to proclaim a different gospel. I mean, they're setting themselves up as this as this kind of um, well, Paul calls his opponents super apostles, and I think I think that applies in some way to Peter as well. Um, but that they they were coming up with these better interpretations that they didn't really need the scriptures to to figure out. Um, all of these great ideas that they had. Um, they were just, you know, really, really knowledgeable, wise guys. And they were the ones who were coming up with all these things. But Peter is pointing out that no, no prophecy ever comes because of what you say, because of what men say. 
It has nothing to do with what man thinks, but men, uh, men speak from God as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one speaking through them. That doesn't mean that uh, they necessarily become autonomatons, that they're just uh, speaking mindlessly. I mean, this, the Spirit is using their abilities, using who they are as men, but at the same time, Ultimately, the one who is speaking in Scripture through all of these different men is God Himself, and it's and it's a beautiful um, passage here. You know, Peter talks about uh, the transfiguration, or appears to talk about the transfiguration, what he sees, and then we have verse nineteen, which says, "We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp." shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It's almost become a cliche to talk about God's word being a, a lamp lighting our path. Um, but nevertheless, that's part of the word of God. It's still very much true. Um, we live in a dark world, a world darkened by sin. We live amongst men who are darkened by sin. Their minds are dark and they cannot see the things of God. They cannot see their own sins even. And yet, here is the word, a lamp shining in the darkness, illumining people, showing their sins, yes, but also showing them where salvation is found. The scriptures are not a closed book. The scriptures, um, they're, they're not a closed book to Christians, certainly. But to have access to these scriptures in our own language in translations that we can understand, which we can still very much consider the Word of God. You, you need not Hebrew and Greek to have the Word of God. We live in a time where the well is uncapped, and men may drink freely from the Word of God. Men may read it with their own eyes. They can read it aloud with their own lips. It's a tremendous uh, time, really, to be alive as far as the publication of the Word of God and the access to the Word of God. And yet, more and more, people don't hear, people don't listen, people won't read it. Do you care to comment on that? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we say that the, the Word is a lamp shining in the darkness, and we, we, like you say, we have a tremendous opportunity in that we have it so freely. But we have to remember, as God warned Amos, that he may very well send a famine of his Word. Yes. Um. It is his word and not ours. Um, so we shouldn't take it for granted, which unfortunately, it seems like as it becomes more and more available to us, we do. Or we look to something else as if that was more sure and certain than the word itself, whether that be the authority that we think makes it the word or whether we or just ourselves that, you know, it's about what I think and what I want that makes uh, an authority in my life. Rather, we should look to that which is truly the light, and that is the light of the Holy Word. Yes. So let's uh, briefly then touch here um, on a concept uh, that does, you know we really want to really want to talk about today: uh, the Old Testament in the New Testament. Basically, what we mean by that is how do the authors of Scripture, or how do the characters of the New Testament, make use of the Scriptures available to them? What do they appeal to uh, for authority? Well, if, if you want to use Paul as a, a clear example, he just s straight up quotes it. He doesn't say, um, you know, you should think about this or you should, you know, you know, maybe this is true or, you know, here's something to think uh, to chew on. He just says, you know, as it is written. And I think that is the the way that the New Testament presents. I mean, the word yes. as it is. The word written. of God says it. Case closed. <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's a really, uh, actually a powerful form of apologetics to when you can just stand upon the authority of the word and proclaim it as true because God has said it and therefore it is true. Yeah. And Jesus does this too. Um, Christ himself, like when he's tempted by the devil in, in Matthew four, um, he basically just says, you know, as it is written, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As it is written, you know, all these things. He just says, this is the authority to which even Satan cannot contradict it. Right. 
Satan himself has to heed it because it is the authority. Absolutely. So with that said, and now we're kind of coming into this now, now we're kind of coming into the meat of this discussion. Um, What constitutes the scripture and what can we do with the scriptures? And so let's take a look at a couple of examples uh, from the Old Testament, um, particularly Proverbs 30, uh, verses 5 and 6, and it reads, um, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, uh, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. And Deuteronomy echoes this, too. Everything that I commanded you, you should be careful to do. You shall not add to it, nor take from it. Yeah, and and with this, we have a very clear word of God um, that what has been spoken, I mean, if you want to use the as the, the term we've been using, is sufficient. Uh, we cannot add to it. Exactly. We cannot take away from it. We have been given exactly what God wants to give us. And it is perfect in what we have. Yes, we don't want to follow the example um, of the Israelites in Scripture who questioned God's provision and whether God was giving them enough or giving to them sufficiently. It did not uh, did not work, work out very well uh, with, the, with the quail. <laughs> with the quail or with the bread or yeah Israel yes, was yes. not paying attention during the wilderness or any time for that matter. Right. There are a lot of lessons we can learn here. When God makes his promises, they are sure. When God speaks his word, it is true and we should cling to that. It is true, but God's provision is also sufficient and and perfect. Yes. And perfect. And and with this too, um with the adding and the subtracting, we should also uh take note that um, we can't say like, oh, well, God is somehow, I don't, I mean, what's the expression that's commonly used? God is still speaking, for example, yes. or this idea that, you know, well, maybe he's going to give us something else. Well, no, we have the perfect revelation. Scripture is what it is. God has spoken. There is nothing that is going to contradict it in heaven and earth. Heaven and earth itself will pass away before this word will pass away. And and on top of that, too, this is the very word against which we will be judged. Yes, um, and, and so, at this point, it would be uh, prudent for us to point out that when we say that the scriptures are sufficient, we also affirm that they are inerrant. Um, that they don't merely yes. contain the word of God, but that they are the perfect word of God. Well, I mean, because it really comes back to the, the same point. If God is the one speaking, and if God cannot lie then his word must be inerrant. I mean, that's that's really the, the basis of it. Um, and if, yes, there are things that we don't understand in the scriptures, but that's not a problem of the scriptures. That's the problem that many people run into. They think that when we fi- find these difficulties that somehow uh, the scriptures are faulty or, or insufficient. No, the problem is us. We are the ones who have... Uh, knowledge uh, tainted by sin. We are the ones who have been corrupted. We are the uh, covenant breakers like Adam. And therefore, you know, who are you, O man, to uh, speak back to God? It is the scriptures that will speak to us. Absolutely. Um, Very good. Do you have any more comments on uh, Proverbs or Deuteronomy or on adding to the scriptures just yet? No, I think... Go ahead. I mean, I think... Yeah, we definitely want to tackle this question because now it keeps coming up. So we're talking about not adding to his words. You also have that uh, apply to the book of Revelation as well. Um, you see this over and over. Do not add to these words. Trust in the word of the Lord. And yet we would affirm that God has spoken in his word. And what we mean by that is God is no longer providing new revelation. Um, now, what are some examples of groups who would hold to a sort of continuing revelation? Is that a problem? And if yes, why, uh, what do we do about it? And if not, um, what do we do with it? Yeah, well, that's, (laughs) that's a heck of a question. Um, (laughs) yeah, so I suppose the, the most obvious one, I mean, we are Lutherans after all, that we would come up against would be the Pope, uh, dealing with Roman Catholicism. And, and what it means for uh, the relationship of the church to the scriptures. Um, because the Pope 
claims to be the one who gets to make the final call, so to speak. He's the one that says, uh, by virtue of his office, uh, he can give a binding uh, proclamation upon the church, and then that's it. They have to abide by that when he speaks ex cathedra. Um, The problem, of course, is that Rome sets itself up over the scriptures because they say it's insufficient. We need the the church in order to give us a clear and authoritative word of God. Um, do, do you, I mean, would you agree with that? Is that a fair assessment? Oh, I, you know, no, I, I, whole, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, yeah, that that the church needs to speak, quote unquote, more clearly to certain issues. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has this mechanism called the magisterium whereby he is offering new revelation um, or offering uh, new insights. And really, in the case of Rome, it's often new doctrines, uh, sort of whole cloth. Uh, Rome has, you know, their three, their three pillars, the magisterium, tradition, and the scriptures. But oftentimes, scriptures are, are supplanted. Well, the, the problem with a, uh, a multi-point authority is that when a problem arises, you still have to go to what is your ultimate authority. You can't say, I have three authorities ultimately, because if those three authorities disagree with each other, who's right? Rome would say, well, then the Pope speaks, and that settles the question. So ultimately, you're settling the the question of authority in the office of the papacy. Um, and that's and that, of course, is something we would reject because we don't need uh, a someone else, even even if he were appointed by God. We're not saying he is, but even if he were, we don't need that because God himself has given us the scriptures and they themselves are clear and sufficient for for answering the questions that we need to answer. Yes. Now, we do have um, a very large uh, movement uh, within the Christian community that is not necessarily Roman Catholic, although sometimes they are. They're sweeping through the global south. They're growing in the United States. They're even growing in Europe, and that's going to be the Charismatics. They're mostly going to affirm sola scriptura. They're going to affirm the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and yet they, too, have a doctrine of continuing revelation. Yeah, because when you're dealing with uh, Charismatics or maybe um, some Pentecostals in general, uh, you're dealing with people who would say that, well, God is is speaking to me directly, uh, that I don't actually have to have anything in between me and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, that uh, the Holy Spirit works on my heart or something like that uh, to speak something that is relevant to my life. Uh, the great problem with that, of course, is, is how, do, well, how do you know? How do you know that this is actually the voice of the Holy Spirit and not something else? Scripture actually gives us <laughs> tests for this kind of thing. Um, but that in itself that shows us the tests uh, should show that, again, Scripture is the greater authority and the ultimate authority. It's an interesting uh, phenomenon with the Charismatics because they'll often say, well, my vision or my revelation, um, it merely agrees with Scripture. It doesn't contradict Scripture. It just affirms what Scripture says. And to that, of course, we would say, then, why is it needed? <laughs> then what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> it, becomes, it, becomes, it becomes superfluous. Um, but what we have with, uh, with Rome and the Charismatics both have this this idea in common, and it's very comforting to a lot of people that God is going to speak either directly to a, a man who is over them in authority, uh, either the Pope, or that God is going to speak to them uh, directly or through one of their leaders, and to be giving them some sort of living voice uh, through through a person or through through visions. It's a very seductive temptation because people are often scattered to the wind. And they often don't have a firm foundation in the scriptures, a good knowledge of the scriptures. And so they are looking for some assurity and for some certainty. And so they find their authority either in their experiences or in their magisterium. And that sort of uh, brings a comfort to them that they don't otherwise have. Um, Charismaticism and Roman Catholicism both lean heavily on mysticism, for lack of a better word. It's a very experiential religion. Which experience is good, um, you know, and deep prayer is fine, 
but we have to look at something outside of ourselves and at something a little bit more objective or something that is objective, namely the only truly objective truth, which is the scripture, which has been handed to us by God and preserved by God. Well, and I suppose the, the, the great temptation arises because when they look out in the world, uh, they see lots of people who are saying lots of different things about the same scriptures. And so they're saying, well, how do I know that what you're saying is true? Because this person over there is saying something completely different. And so to resolve that kind of tension that they feel uh, with false teachers in the world is they turn to these authorities, whether it be uh, the Pope, that authority over us uh, with uh, the appearance of of having a, a antiquity behind it, of, of having this kind of, you know, imposing structure. You know, we are the ones who have been here. We can say what it says or to our own hearts. This idea that I know it's true because I believe it to be true. But that kind of emotional response, um, frankly, in either case, as you kind of point out, uh, isn't really a good foundation to build things on because it can be deceived. Um, when we see these conflicting interpretations in the world, the answer is not to run to someone and say, I'm going to believe you. The answer is to dig deeper, to dig into the word, to listen to the Holy Spirit, because uh, his sheep know his voice. And we have to listen to his voice if we're going to actually find it um, in, in a case of controversy. Right, and that's very well said. And, and so that in mind presupposing that the Word of God is the ultimate authority uh, within Christ's church, what do we do about different, differing interpretations of the Scripture? How do we know what is true exegesis or what's true teaching and what's not? Well, I mean, besides obviously listening to the Word, uh, we also do have, I mean, there is a proper place for uh, tradition. There is. Um, because when we look to what the church has believed in in time, then we can at least say, you know, this is this is what Christ's church. Well, how, how do I want to put this? We can't just cut off the past as if it's useless. Um, all of these things that have happened before us, the, the battles that our fathers have fought were fought for a reason. Uh, Christ's church is one across time. It's not just something that exists right now, but it's something that exists also uh, throughout history. And so we can listen to what our fathers have taught us. The difficulty comes in is when we think that because it comes from the past, therefore it must be true. You right. know, kind of a big T tradition or whatever you want to call it. Right. Well, this is why the teaching office is so important, or the pastoral office is important. Um, God does raise up pastors to teach the church her truth. And um, we forget that. It's kind of a mediated teaching. Um, it is a little bit dangerous to sit down alone with a Bible and nothing else. And what, what we, and what I mean by that is completely divorced from the vocabulary that's come before us, the teaching that's come before us, the great men of God who have come before us, whom God has indeed given us um, as great teachers, and even and indeed the men in our own lives, you know, occupying the pulpits of our churches, even our parents, for that matter. There we go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we certainly don't want to uh, disregard that. You know, what is what is the primary purpose of a father? It's to raise children in the faith. In the fear of um, the Lord, yeah. In the fear of the Lord. And, you know, everybody looks at a dad and says, you know what, he's working three shifts, you know, he's doing this, and, you know, more power to him, providing for his family. Everybody lauds the man who provides home and food for his family. But that man, too, as a father, even as husband, should be providing spiritual food to his family through the word. Yeah, and that's, I mean, God God commands it too. Yeah. And so with all of this, as as you very well put, uh, we look to our, our forefathers, not just our father, but our spiritual fathers, and we can listen to them because, you know, they are Christians too. I, we just don't want to make them into something more than what they are. Uh, we can't just say because they have said it, therefore it must be true because then you're just doing the same thing. But when we compare what they have said and, and use their insights with the word, uh, then we can grow and, and be built up in the church even more. Um, yeah, I mean, the great temptation, like you said, is to sit down with, you know, me and my Bible. That's all I need. I don't need to go to church. 
And yet the Lord commands us uh, to keep the Sabbath day. Uh, The Lord commands us to gather together because we're not Christians in isolation. We are not Christians all off by ourselves, but we are part of the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, uh, we, I mean, we can give great respect to our spiritual fathers, but also recognizing that they are sinners just like we are in need of the grace of God. Absolutely. Now, we're living in a very peculiar time. There's always been heresies, uh, the same heresies, you know, errors really recycled over and over again. But we're living in a time, particularly in America, post-Second Great Awakening. We have a lot of new sects that have risen up, and they're all claiming new teachings and uh, new revelations. And it's really quite impressive. You know, if a good rule of thumb is, is that if you've thought of a new doctrine or you've discovered a new doctrine in the scriptures that nobody's seen in 2,000 years, you're probably an error. And, <laughs> and yet, all the time, uh, new, new, new. We don't even need to look at uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons even. Really, in a lot of sort of mainstream evangelical culture, this idea of a leader, a charismatic leader who's being raised up and being given direct access to God and is speaking on behalf of God, or speaking uh, new revelations of God, has really taken hold in evangelicalism in many circles, uh, with this idea behind you know vision casting and uh, sort of those sorts of things, which you might discuss uh, a little bit more in depth in other broadcasts. But you're really seeing this more and more. I've received something new, and and the tricky part is sometimes they're not saying God came to me in a vision. Sometimes they're opening the scriptures and saying I've discovered something new here that someone hasn't seen. And therein is the danger of sort of reading and interpreting the Bible divorced from the rest of the church. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is it possible that they've, you know, had a new insight that, you know, has been missed? I suppose technically, um, but you're also dealing with a church that's been around for 2,000 years. And we don't want to exalt ourselves to such a degree um, that we are making ourselves the only measure of the church. Yes, and um, we're often accused of limiting the Holy Spirit by affirming sola scriptura, or by, excuse me, by affirming uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, we're, we're accused of quenching, quenching the Holy Spirit. But the reality is the Holy Ghost is living and active in His Word and in the ministry of His Word. The Holy Spirit has never stopped being active within the hearts of believers. He has never stopped purifying them, cleansing them, re-quickening them over and over again. Yeah, and I I think it's worth pointing out, too, that you're not really limiting the Holy Spirit because, well, he doesn't have to speak to us. (laughs) He, he He wouldn't have to say anything at all, but that he has given us the Holy Word, um, is a sign of his favor, a sign of his grace. And we would do well to listen to what he's actually given us rather than saying, oh, ho-hum, this is just the Bible. We have the, the words of God himself. Um, we would, we would do wise to, be wise to pay attention to that. Very true. So with our last few minutes here, I want to tackle a few things. If First, describe your use of Scripture in your life, in your family life, and then in your in your ministry, I know it seems like a little bit of a silly question to ask a pastor how he uses the Bible uh, in his ministry, but nevertheless, here we are. So first, the Bible at home or, or your personal devotion. Do you have any? You don't have to give us specifics or anything like that, but just in general, how do you use the scriptures? Well, I think the great temptation with the pastor, of course, is to take them too professionally. Um, that we're you know using it to make a study, we're, we're using it to make a sermon. Um, and those things are important. I don't want to give the wrong impression, uh, but we can't forget that we just have to sit down and listen to the word uh, apart from any agenda. And so uh, I, I personally, I try to read um, a fairly substantial section of the scripture every day um, just because not to, to make myself more familiar with it, to be built up by it, to listen to the voice of the Holy Ghost, and not just to be always digging uh, for sermon points but to listen what the, the the spirit has to say in my own life. Um, and so, and then with my children, of course, uh, we try to, to read aloud um, a little bit from the scriptures each night. Uh, there's, even though they're very young, 
Uh, my oldest is only six. Uh, we still have to read the word. We can't uh, skirt over it. We can't pretend as if it's not important because he's, quote, too little to understand. But rather, you know, give him something to grow into, if, if nothing else. Uh, to grow into the language of the Holy Scriptures, to hear the rhythms of the word and to be built up in it uh, so that he will um, be, that he will continue in that throughout his whole life. And then, of course, with the... Uh, no, I was going to oh, say, go please, uh, very, very good advice all around, or very good, um, very inspiring all around. And now how about um, in your work as pastor? Well, yeah, and that's that's the the important part too. I mean, as pastors, we are called to uh, proclaim the word faithfully. Um, so, part of being in the word, of course, means you know studying it deeply and also studying those who have come before us. Um, but but taking time with our sermons, not trying to rush through them. Um, you know, thinking about what it is that the word has to say, and then thinking of ways in which to apply that. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, because, you know, you think, oh, well, a pastor just gets up and talks about God for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and, you know, whatever. But that comes out of a lot of deliberation about what it is that the word, the word actually says. And so we have to, uh, be diligent also, I think, in studying God's word in its original languages as well, uh, to not be, um, I don't, I know how to put it. Bound, that's a bad word, <laughs> uh, to a particular translation, but to, to hear what it is that God says and to faithfully proclaim that word. And so with all of this, um, I cannot under-encourage, uh, I, I, whatever word you want to use, uh, prayer in all of that as well, that recognizing our own inability, our own um, weakness, that we have this mercy by the grace, uh, this ministry by the mercy of God, as Paul says in, in Corinthians, um, that we are speaking, uh, we are dying men, a dying man speaking to dying men. And this word is still our sufficiency in all things. And so prayer is very much a part of that, to, to ask for the insight of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and you know, for a lot of us, and we're all guilty of this, it's very easy to just let this slide. Um, life is busy. Uh, we get very distracted. And so just by way of some practical advice, um, if you haven't been making the Word of God and prayer part of your regular routine, you can start out uh, relatively slowly and easily with this. Give yourself 20 minutes a day in the morning when you wake up, your lunch break, wherever it works for you. Read a chapter of the Bible. Prayer. If you're not comfortable praying, we have plenty of different resources that will help you with written prayers, with other things like that. But getting into the rhythm of reading the Word of God and praying to God, speaking to God, praising God and petitioning Him as He has commanded us to do. Do you have any other um, words of advice for people looking to really incorporate the Word of God more uh, into their daily devotions or even just their lives in general? Um, I would... Actually, this this might sound kind of weird, but when I when people ask me, like, you know, what should I read in the Bible? I often tell them, uh, start in the New Testament. And the reason I say that, (laughs) (laughs) the reason the reason I say that is because some people are like, oh, you got to start with the beginning of the Bible and you have to just read right through. And well, no, the Bible is a bunch of different books attached together. uh, But, you know, that the Holy Spirit has bound together Um, and. When you're first really trying to to get into the rhythm of reading the Bible, sometimes you get into the the legal texts of uh, starting in Exodus 20 and 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 all the way through Leviticus as well as Deuteronomy, and that can become very overwhelming very quickly. Um, and I think it's best to sometimes start where it is that the scriptures are pointing towards. And that is with Christ himself. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament is less important. It just means to recognize that, well, sometimes we have to take things one step at a time. Certainly. And and And, here is Jesus Christ. Here's the fulfillment of all of these books that came before. Um, I agree. You know, when people ask me, I generally recommend starting with, say, the Gospel of Luke. Um, For us Gentiles, it seems to work uh, pretty well. Um, (laughs) Certainly Paul's letters are good. Um, Generally, Gospel of Luke, 
and then the Psalms. The Psalms are very accessible to anyone, and they speak to really all of life's circumstances, between all 150 of them. Somewhere there's some comfort or there's some admonition for pretty much whatever you're dealing with. And and getting a, a great familiarity with the Psalms as well, um, you'll always find one that fits whatever it is that you're facing. Yes. You'll you'll always find one that just kind of that speaks very well to your situation. But the only way that you're going to know that and as with any of the scriptures is by being in it. Uh so I can only encourage you uh just pick it up and go. It will o- it can only profit you. You will not waste time, you will not lose time because you are doing something that will outlast all of these things uh because it is the word that will endure into eternity. There are many great works of literature that are profitable to read. Moby Dick, Don Quixote, um, whatever. There are great comic books that people like to read. There's great other great fiction. There's great nonfiction. Shelby Foote's Civil War, what have you. All of these great books pale in comparison to the Holy Bible. Now, they may profit you in many ways. You may learn a lot of things history. You may learn a lot of facts. You might receive a lot of entertainment from them. You may even learn life-affirming lessons in other books. But eternal life is found only in one book, the Holy Bible. And if I can add to that, too, um, all of those other books that you mentioned, eventually you'll you'll kind of come to an end with them. You'll you eventually kind of pick up everything yes. that you need to know out of well, Shelby Foote's Civil War, as you pointed out. I can only read the Thornbirds, you know, <laughs> two or three times. Tops. Tops, and then that's it. But every time you read the scripture, the Holy Spirit will say something new. You can never exhaust the word. It will always be profitable for for good works and for teaching and reproof and correction and all of those things. It, it, is, it is a living and a breathing word because it comes from God. Amen. Well, we're quickly running out of time here, Zelwyn. Any uh, any final words that you want to give? No, I think I think we're good for today. It's it's been a, a great joy. Uh, this is a, our inaugural episode, and hopefully, we'll find our groove. Um, but <laughs> I think we're off to a good start. So, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Again, this is the Word Fitly Spoken podcast. If you'd like to see more from us, visit wordfitlyspoken.org. That's www.wordfitlyspoken.org. Again, thanks for listening. God love you. God bless you.